0: Our scripture reading for this morning will come to us from two places, and first we'll turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, we'll begin reading at verse 7, and into chapter 5, up to verse 5. So 1 John Chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time, and if we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. And by this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. And by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world? But he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This far, our scripture reading. For this morning, and then turning also uh, once again to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Our text will be verse 8. I'll read verse 7 and 8. 1 Peter 4, verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. So, dear congregation, last week we considered uh, verse 7, the second half specifically, uh, that be serious and watchful in your prayers or unto prayers. And it was a difficult message, I found, especially if you consider the week after that, how many of us have lived with that mindset? How many of us have lived that serious and watchful in prayer? And here we are reminded again of the bar, you could say, the gauge that God holds up to us. What are we called to be? And we see how in the first place, how far short we fall of what God requires of us. But we can also be encouraged by this, that it is to this that God will save His people, that He is taking His people and transforming your minds and hearts, and one day to glorify you in heaven, where this will be perfected. But then today, as we look at our text in verse 8, it says, And above, all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And it's as if Peter goes now even a level deeper. And you could say makes it even more difficult for us. In a sense, this is even a deeper level that we are required to live at. Impossible of ourselves, you could say. And yet, with God, all things are possible as He saves His people from their sins. And so, our theme this morning is the heart of godly living, the heart of godly living. And in the first place, then, we want to consider the source of love. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. Where does that come from? Where, what is the source of this fervent love for one another? And because you can certainly confess, as I have to, that we cannot produce this ourselves. This is not something we can just put on or, or make. And so it's also not Peter doesn't command us here to get love or to produce love, but he he, he says. Have fervent love. And so he's calling him here to, to live in this love, to maintain this love that they have for one another, really to live out of this love rather than to begin producing it themselves. It's to live in the love of God with one another. Paul also says something similar in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 9. He says, you yourselves are taught of God, to love one another. And so Jude also with that thought, he says, then keep yourselves in that love of God. And so we have to see that the fountain, the source of this, is obviously God. It's God who produces this love in His people. We love Him because He first loved us. And that's the first thing we must recognize Otherwise, we will have nothing but despair in our hearts when we see that we can never live up to these requirements. And so this is the the blessed hope, the blessedness of it all, that it's not our work, but that it's God's work in His people. God gives and God teaches by His Holy Spirit. So taking this a step further, this heart of love, then, is also the evidence of God's work in you. The evidence, the fruit of being born again, we read, or we didn't read, but 1 John 3 verse 14 says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. The evidence of the love of God in your heart is that you love the brethren. God who has turned your heart from Loving the world from loving those old friends who pursued the sins of this world, turning them away from that darkness and turning them to God and giving you a heart of love not only for God but for His people, for those who love God and His Word. And so now Peter is saying this becomes essential in your life. This love is essential in every Christian's life. And so live in this love for one another. And you could say it's mandatory. It's mandatory to live in this love because it's a natural element of what God has placed in your heart. And as John strongly said before, if it's not there, you are not His. And so we need to, actually in 1 John 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for God is love. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. And verse 8, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Can we search ourselves according to the standard? That's why Peter says, above all things, have fervent love. Maintain that love in your heart, in your life, in your interactions with each other, and so it's the precious fruit of God's Spirit. It's, it's His law that He writes on your heart, that in Jeremiah 31 and also Hebrews 8 says, I will put my laws in their mind, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people, taught of God. It's written on your heart. It's a teaching in your heart that you can do no, not, nothing else but love. That's a summary of His law, isn't it? To love God above all and our neighbor as ourselves. It's a summary of his, his commandments. And so it's written on your heart by His Spirit. Because we can learn a lot, we can hear a lot of sermons or read a lot of books and know a lot of truth, and yet it's God who has to write it on our hearts to, to love that truth, to love the people who know that truth. And so he gives that love for his law, where before we have to confess there was hatred for that law, where there was a disobedience to that law and the Lord of that law. And so this love, we can see it expressed in the hearts of His people by obedience to God's law. That's how it is expressed. Jesus says in John 14, If you love Me, keep My commandments. And John 14, verse 21, He who has My commandments and keeps them, it is He who loves Me. That's what God uses as the gauge of the love of His people. The first table of the law towards God and the second toward our neighbor. Because the source is from God, it's also according to his perfect law, his perfect holiness, his perfect righteousness. And when he writes that upon your heart, then you are also grieved when you see that law broken not only by yourself, but also by others. David complained in Psalm 119 that rivers of water run down his, from his eyes because men do not keep thy law. Does it grieve us when we see God's law broken, and especially in our, in our nation, or can we just tolerate it and live along with it? And Does it matter to us? Or does it grieve our heart when we see God's law broken in every way? the source of this love, but secondly, the extent of love. Because Peter says in verse 8, and above all things, have fervent love for one another. And so really what he's saying is this love must be the most prominent grace in your life. It must be the dominant and pervading fruit that is in your life. 1 Corinthians 13, and Now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Now why is that? Well, if you read 1 Corinthians 13, he explains a number of different things. He says, even if we have the gift to speak the truth like angels, with pleasant words, <clears throat> we can... But if we have no love, then they're just empty words. Lots of noise, like a brass gong or sounding cymbals, and then it really means nothing. If we don't love the truth that we speak, it means nothing, without heart. Even if we have the gifts to understand all that truth or to explain it, to explain all the mysteries, and we do not have love, it says we are nothing. Even though it seems like we know everything, we really are nothing if we have no love for that. He says if we have faith to remove mountains, to do great things, but without love we are nothing, because then we're just using it for our own self-interest, for our own pride. He says if we give everything that we own to feed the poor and the hungry, and we don't have love, then it doesn't do any good to us. This time of year, many people give a lot. Donations go up and give many gifts. But Paul says, if there's no love, then it doesn't profit us anything. Even if we give ourselves to become martyrs for the faith, if we're burned, it says, if we do not have true love for God, it doesn't profit us anything. We live in a time and in a nation where we desperately need men and women who will defend the truth of God vigorously, zealously, but how often is the truth not hurt by people who try to stand up for it and yet seem to lack the very love of it? They might think it's noble to be thrown into prison or to resist unjust authorities, but if it's done also without love, without the love for the truth, it can cause even more damage. Is it above all things to have fervent love for God and for His church? Because if there's no love for God, we have to say that those who even end up in hell, even if we burn at the stake, because if there's no love for God, John said, then we are not gods. Then we do not belong to God. Then there's no true faith. It profits me nothing, because then there is no life. And then it's merely the same sin of pride that Adam and Eve had since paradise. I don't want to say all these things just to convict us or to condemn others because it's easy to convict people of this, of our shortcomings. But it is necessary to reflect on the love that God provides for His people and that God requires of His people because God is the one who gives this. This is the extent of the love that God creates in His people. It's a love without limits, because it comes from the infinite God. And so we are to live in this love above all things, Peter says. You can also look at Colossians 3, verse 14. It says, but above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And there again, we can ask, what is Paul comparing this to? Above what things must we put on love? Well, a few verses earlier, he says, put on tender mercies, Put on kindness, put on humility, put on meekness, put on long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. Now, the world can speak a lot of kindness today, of tolerance, of those kind of things, but he says, but above all, put on love. Be clothed in love when you do all these things. Being, Having tender mercies to others is important. Being humble is important and meek. But if it's not done in love, then what is it? And so love must clothe our mercy. Love must adorn every act of kindness that we do. Love is what causes us to bow in humility. Love really are the arms that open up to others to bear one another's burdens. Love cannot exist if there is no forgiving spirit between one another. It's that bond of perfection that unites. And nothing can remain between for that bond to be perfected. So this love is really the fulfilling of the law of Christ, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace above all things. But it also means it is the evidence of all Often we can be quite discouraged when we hear these kind of things. Without love we are nothing. Without love we have nothing. John says if we have not love, we do not know God, for God is love. But now we need to ask, even if we can't find many of these other things in our life, often we can feel so empty, so worthless, we lack purpose or zeal. And we can be so convicted of our shortcomings. Can we say this? Can we say with Peter, Lord, you know that I love you? Can we reach then down into the bottom of the heart where God writes this on your heart? Can you say, Lord, you know what you've written on my heart that there is love for you, for your commandments? Because if that's a cry that's born from the bottom of your heart, if, if that love is there, then, then you have everything. Even though so often it can seem like you have nothing. And then you can say, we love Him because He first loved us. The love that God produced in you. And we can think of Peter at this time again. Here was Peter who lived with Christ, who was taught by him for these three years, who who did everything, who left everything to follow Christ. He sacrificed so much in this world. But when the pressure was on and he feared for his own life there in the halls of Caiaphas, he said even to a little maid, I don't know this man. He swore with an oath that he did not know who this man was, his This Christ, this master of his, this friend, he denied him. But when that rooster crowed and he looked over and he saw the Lord Jesus sitting there being condemned, being falsely accused, and he met the eyes of Christ, Christ's eyes filled with love that looked and reached into the depths of Peter's heart to let him see that God has written on his heart that love. And that's when Peter broke down in repentance and in confession. There he was beginning to see the full extent to which love goes, the depth of Christ's love for sinners. And Christ would demonstrate that greatest extent and depth of his love, that while we were yet sinners, yet at enmity with God, still haters of God, even breathing out enmity to him, Christ died for the ungodly. There is the depth and the extent of love where Christ went. This is what Christ, uh, Peter learned at that moment, and now he, he turns and he says to these persecuted people, these Christians, he says, now have fervent love above all things. Peter learned it himself. Fervent love, a love without measure, without limits. Deuteronomy 6.4, the catechism students should mem- have memorized this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your strength. It's that complete, all-encompassing love. The very heart of living for God, of living godly your whole heart, your whole mind, we considered last time, your whole strength to live for God every moment. That's what it'll be like in eternity and glory, when your whole being, body and soul, mind and strength, is devoted to serve God. And so this fervent love is, is a diligent love. It's, it's a careful and a calculated love and a purposeful, an intentional love, an intentional act. See, love is not just an emotion and not just a feeling. It's not just when we feel like giving to somebody or if it makes us feel good that we give to the poor. But love is a commitment. It's an act of the will. And that's why people, sometimes you hear, well, I no longer love my spouse. It's not a matter of, feeling it's a matter of their will. They no longer want to do what is required. They no longer want to fulfill those marriage vows, and they break them. Love is not a feeling but a commitment, a committed act of the heart and the whole being. Christ gave Himself willingly. He gave Himself knowingly, purposefully, to save sinners. And so, this fervent love is self denying and life giving. Jesus says, No, a greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Love is that affection, that commitment to someone else, to others, to God, and has to be according to God's moral law, according to his commandments. That's why Christ said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Those who keep my commandments, those are the ones who love me, all of them. Don't make excuses to skirt around them, but self-denying, self-sacrificing for God and others. That's why Christ said, if anyone desires to follow me, let him deny himself. Keeping his word, his commandments, is self-denying. 1 John 4.10, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God loved us in this manner, sending the Father, sending His Son into this world to be the propitiation for our sins, if the Son gave Himself, gave Himself as a sacrifice for His people. He says in Ephesians 5, husbands are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. It's self-sacrificing, it's giving. And so we ought to love one another fervently sacrificially, willingly. And the extent to which we are called to love one another as Christians, brothers and sisters in the Lord, is above all and fervently. And you notice he doesn't qualify that by, by with what kind of gifts you have, what kind of talents, but it's expressed through whatever you have, whatever God has gifted you with, You do not need to have much knowledge or ability because without love those things are nothing. A child can show more genuine love and affection than the wisest professor of theology in this world if he has no heart of love. And so this love, it descends to the depths of which Christ showed to the death to save sinners. And it ascends into the heights of heaven where Christ now sits, interceding for His church, where He will bring them one day the extent, but then thirdly, the object of love. Have fervent love for one another. Who does Peter have in mind here specifically? For one another here refers to fellow believers, brothers and sisters in the Lord, those who are Christ's special people, His chosen, His royal priesthood, His holy nation, the bride of Christ. And this concept for for the love of God's people and for spiritual fellowship with one another is is very prominent in, in Scripture. And Peter also mentioned this a few other times. In chapter 1, verse 22, he says... Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. In chapter 2, verse 17, he says, love the brotherhood. In chapter 3, verse 8, love as brothers. All indications of love for the believers. And if you want to compare it to our call to love even unbelievers. Peter says in chapter 3, verse 90, we're not to repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling to those who persecute us, but on the contrary, we're supposed to bless them, to pray for them, to desire what's best for them, to pray for the welfare of those who hate us. And so, how much more fervently must we love one another who have the same love of Christ, the same love for Christ, who have been bought by the blood of Christ, who are heirs of the same salvation in Christ, those who the Father has given to Christ. If we consider the love that Christ has for them, how much more should we be fervent in love for one another? And to promote the welfare of fellow believers, to seek each other's best interest, to be self-denying and helping others, especially spiritually, to build one another up, sacrificing those things that are of, of, of lesser importance in this world. We just think practically of how pleasant and how productive a family would be if all the children and parents could work together in total harmony and peace and unity. Imagine how fast those dishes would be done and the floor cleaned and the beds made and all the joy and delight that there would be, the peace and the love. If put that into the bigger picture of the family of God. If there's that unity in this whole world between brothers and sisters in the Lord, what joy, what peace. Jesus said in John 13, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You are taught by God to love one another. But how sad it is when the world looks at the church and says they can't even get along, or people leave the church because of divisions in the church. It should be the opposite. We are to be a spectacle to the world of the love of God, of the grace. Because what does he say? Why? What is the purpose for this fervent love? Well, he says, for love will cover a multitude of sins. In Ephesians 4.32, Paul says, Forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. This fervent love includes that forgiving spirit. We are called to have a forgiving spirit, to forgive one another. In Matthew 18, verse 21, makes it clear that, again, the extent of this love, this forgiving spirit, is without limits. Because Peter asked, how often should I forgive someone who transgresses against me? Seven times? And Jesus said, no, seventy times seven. Infinitely. No limits. There must be a heart of fervent love, ready to forgive Why? Well, because you also desire them, desire for them to know the full forgiveness, to taste that liberty of forgiveness and peace with God, so that we you can be free of the burden of guilt or sin, whatever is holding you back, whatever is burdening you. There was a young man who lived in his family home, but he had sin. But he hid it. He couldn't tell his parents he was too ashamed. Not saying there was no love in the home, but he did not feel like he he could unload his burden. And it ate away at his conscience, and it affected that relationship. There was a division, there was a barrier between children and, and parents, between father and son. He could not unload it. But this is where we have to be ready with open arms as the father was to the prodigal son coming back in repentance. Repentance is necessary. Yes, repentance opens that way for forgiveness. But we must be ready to forgive those who sin against us, especially in the community of believers. We cannot officially forgive if they cannot come and ask for forgiveness, but we must be ready to forgive ready to help them, willing to forgive without holding grudges, without envy or enmity. That unity, that communion must be restored, that fellowship with one another must be free. How can there be close fellowship if there's barriers, if there's divisions? How can there be fervent love if we keep those walls up between one another and don't let each other into our lives or homes? I'm not saying you have to spill everything that's on your heart and mind, but there needs to be love and fellowship and communion. Ready to forgive. Ready to allow others to unburden their hearts if they've sinned against us or we against them, knowing that by God's grace we are able to forgive one another, knowing that you will not be rejected if you come and confess your sins, but that there would be a spirit of forgiveness and unity, a fervent love to remove the barriers, the hindrances of sin. Knowing that Proverbs 28 for 13, this is, It says, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. And so this takes fervent love, not to demand the other person to pay up like that unfaithful steward did in Matthew 18, but to be ready to forgive, because Christ has forgiven you in infinite sin debt. Peter here is alluding to Proverbs 10, verse 12. He says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. If, you're, if you let these things go, if you, if you stir up strife, if you're arguing, if you're fighting among one another, behind people's backs, you're causing divisions, if you're holding grudges against others in, in the church or in your families or other Christians, you're hating one another. This is not love. It's an act out of hatred, holding their sins against them, holding grudges, not instead of releasing their debt. You think of Peter's time here and the culture where he lived. He was speaking to these persecuted Christians, driven from their homes, pilgrims and strangers, scattered throughout Asia, Pontus and Galatia. They need these open arms of fellow believers because what else do they have in this world? Right now we have so much. And people can be so individualistic because we have so much. And yet think, what do you need if we are in times like Peter? And what will happen in this country if it continues on this path and Christians are further brought, pushed to the outskirts, to the... to, to to persecution. Are you ready to love one another fervently with open arms? But then also, how do we do this? How do we love one another? Because we said earlier that love is according to the law of God. And so there's a few passages, including James 5, verse 19 to 20, that Quote the same text from Proverbs 10, 12, and it says, Brethren, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So what is this love? It's a fervent love to turn others from their sin, to warn them, Of their sin. So often we are reluctant to tell others, hey, you have sinned against me. You're sinning here in this or that way. We we need to have fervent love to hold one another accountable before God. We must love each other to have compassion on one another. Jude 22 says, on some have compassion, making a distinction, evaluate, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, even hating the garment defiled with the flesh. Sin is soul-destroying, and love desires to save everyone from the fire of destruction, from the fire of sin, to pull them out, to hold them before the Word of God. And so I'll leave you with this passage from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4, calling us to love one another fervently in every circumstance, that love suffers long, and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Above all things, love one another fervently. Amen.